0: You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard.
1: Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Russell, the founding host of the podcast, and I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker. And my first feature film, The Alternate, is out now on digital, DVD, Tubi, and Amazon Prime, and Voodoo, and lots of other places, too.
0: I'm Liz Manishal. I'm a writer, director, producer who has directed two features, Bread and Butter and Speed of Life. And I'm currently making my third, Best Friends Forever. I'm a producer's rep and I used to manage Sundance's creative distribution initiative. This week, we welcome writer and director Roxana Baldovin on the show to talk about her amazing career as a music video director, working with big acts such as g Easy, Rico Nasty. I am the worst person to read all of these hip names. (laughs) I can say Doja Cat. I do know Doja Cat. But this last one, everyone's going to make fun of me for. Little Uzi Vert. Did I do it? I said it a little French. A yeah, too I that's okay.
1: I, I, I brought that name up, that wrapper that up in the conversation, and I said, like such a square saying his that's name. That's what I sound
0: like. I, I mean, we say G, easy. It just doesn't so, work.
1: So, when you were li- working with Little Uzi Vert, um,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: like, wow, okay. Well, she worked with all these really cool people, right? She also talks about her time on the latest season on Project Greenlight. We also do other things on the show. We're going to play another round of You're the Expert. We're going to talk to Ulrich's daughter, Bebe. But first, Alric, how are you?
1: I am doing really well. I am fully in holiday mode right now, which has been great. We just made chocolates together, BB and I. And she's singing. I don't know if we should have her not sing on the show. But, I think uh, it's
0: cute. Whatever. Yeah. Keep it. <laughs> I don't know. She's no... She's little... Rick, she's no Rico nasty, is that right? <laughs>
1: yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I have no idea. She's ten times better.
0: She's ten times better just, than Rico just kidding.
1: nasty. I'll <laughs> uh, all the Rico nasty fans out there. Yeah, and um, you know, so making lots of fun food and watching lots of movies. The thing I was going to bring up to you, I actually was going to text you, and I just kept on forgetting. So I watched a Christmas movie <gasps> that I really liked, a brand new one um, <gasps> that came out this year called Dashing Through the Snow. Have you seen this one?
0: No, I haven't been able to. I'm behind i'm so blind man okay i'm adding it what platform is it on
1: it's on disney plus and it stars little rel little rel howary
0: oh i love him yeah yeah yeah
1: and then ludicrous okay it's really fun and it's like i think the first christmas movie i've ever seen that has a black santa and it was delightful truly fun
0: i'm very interested hi baby but
1: is there any I should watch that, like, are amazing that you've seen that you're like, oh, my God, like, you have to watch this Christmas movie?
0: There's no amazing ones, Ulrich. They're all <laughs> schlocky, like, sentimental mush. And that's why I like them. Like, It's a Wonderful Life is sentimental mush, but it's a great movie.
1: Or oh, they're, they're still good. You can still enjoy them.
0: I'm in the middle of the family switch, which I actually enjoy. <laughs> it's very, very silly. They, like, unabashedly... Like, it unabashedly makes no sense. Like, and they kind of, they have a whole scene where they reference all the movies that they're pulling from. Like, they actually are like, I feel like I'm 13 going on 30. I feel like I'm 17 again. Like, (laughs) there's they just list them all. But we are actually just segueing to what's going on over here. We are sleeping a little bit more. So we are making a little bit more sense. Oh, there's children. There's a child. And it's. I'm reaping the benefits of additional sleep. So I'm feeling more creative. I'm getting more done. I have more energy and I am enjoying. I have more latitude for crazy children that are surrounding us and our lives. That's
1: amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Having a help is
0: really great, you know, and help, sleep, something, anything, some kind of support. Oh,
1: grandma's here. (gasps)
0: Grandma Patty's here. Go, 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 go.
1: Yes, free. (laughs) Not that I don't love being with my daughter, but yeah, they're going crazy.
0: But also, do you know what also is crazy, Ulrich? What's crazy? Patreon, what a crazy platform, but also a great platform because it funds our podcast.
1: It does. Yeah, it's, no, it's really good. (laughs) And it's a requirement for the show to, to exist. So for all our lovely patrons, thank you so much for you know sticking with us through the holidays i know sometimes people pull back but i don't think we've had anyone pull back during the holidays so thank you so much for sticking with the show and yeah i don't know any other words about the patreon you have to say
0: well we we didn't say anything about it of substance really other than the fact that if you give 199 at a bare minimum one dollar and 99 a month which is so little that's one fourth a chipotle burrito as i like to reference you get access to the entire back catalog of all the episodes of our podcast, which, of which there are many. Head on over to www.patreon.com slash mmihpodcast. We also want to shout out the Blood and Popcorn Film Festival, which is a micro horror film festival. It celebrates Bay Area filmmakers. It spotlights international talents year round with multiple horror film screenings. They want you to enjoy the best curated collection of horror short films and features that offer spine chilling frights and gory delights. So that's pretty. I like that. Ooh. The regular deadline for submissions is is, is tomorrow. But no, you haven't... it was
1: it was last week. Sorry.
0: No, it's OK. So they are the regular deadlines already passed. But you have until January 16th to get your submissions in. You know, they're in the late deadline. But Nicole's going to watch all of them. You can use the waiver code Evil Pop E V I L P O P three to get fifty percent off your submission. Head on over to filmfreeway.com slash blood and popcorn film festival. But without any more delay, here is Alric and Eric's chat, our Eric, our producer, with Roxana Baldovin.
1: All right, well we're here with Director Roxana Baldovin, welcome to the show, Roxana.
3: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
1: Give us the elevator pitch for your music video crush.
3: My music video crush. So I feel like it was a very bubblegum pop fantasy world that was very different from what Bella had done in her artistry before. Bella was used to more uh, dark things and, you know, she just wanted to do like a fun, fun Barbiecore-esque video, I suppose, you know? And, you know, just about having your summertime crush. And so that's what we did. And I really love the choreo in it. So shout out to Robbie, our choreographer. I think he did an amazing job. Uh, We shot at the Pink House where they shot a bunch of things. Actually, my friend texted me yesterday, asked me about the parking situation because she's shooting something there soon, but um, it's (laughs) becoming an iconic location. And so that was really exciting, too, to shoot there because, you know, obviously we, we did set deck, but there was like so much already in the in the space that we got to work with.
2: Yeah, for, for folks that don't know, here in Southern California, there is an amazing pink kind of quasi-mansion that you can go shoot in. That is just, I mean, you point your camera in any direction, you're gonna get something really interesting. But out of curiosity, how many days did you shoot? Like you had, it sounded like you had choreography, so you probably had some pre-production, and then like, what were your actual production days?
3: Only one day of shooting. Which wow. Nice. The, yeah, pretty normal for music videos to have one day. But yeah, it was about two weeks of pre-pro, you know, we had one choreo, one rehearsal day with the choreographer that I came to. And we had one day in the mansion prior to that my production designer can go in and kind of start building. Nice. What was the rough budget of the
2: music video, if you can say?
3: About 75000 Nice. Something like that.
2: And how was the project first brought to you? Or brought to you? How, like, What was, what was the, the concept and, and coming up with all of that?
3: I love that you asked that. My friend, Ria Warner, she actually recently started as Bella's creative director. And so, you know, she thought I'd be perfect for this. So she had me write. Initially, we were going to do like a Love Island concept, which I was so excited about because we could do more narrative and we we're going to have a bunch of Bella's like TikTok friends come and be in the video. And I was super excited about that because to be honest, like, you know, I feel like I've done the kind of like pink kitschy thing before and I, I... I was kind of not excited about doing that again, but I was really excited about working with Bella. So, you know, I made it beautiful and different in a different way. But, you know, creatively as a creator, I was like, oh, Love Island, this will be like something different, you know? But then because of like scheduling conflicts, we weren't really able to do the Love Island thing. And then the budget became like 150 the initial budget was 50. So we were already like a little bit over, you know, so we couldn't Mm -hmm. really do the justice to the Love Island thing. So I was a bit disappointed in that, but I think we still made a beautiful video. And also for those that don't know the music video process, it is kind of like auditioning as an actor because, you know, I wasn't single bid. So there were like three other directors that wrote on the treatment that wrote on the video and they all came from the label, even my rep, you know, someone hit him up to get another director on our roster and he didn't ask me to write on it. And then I was like, oh, well, I got asked anyways to write on it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, I think that it is because Rio, uh, Bella's creative director, pushed for me so hard, which I love her so much. And I'm so appreciative to her for doing that, because that was like an internal person being like, you should really work with her. And I think that that's why I ended up getting the job. So I don't want to sound like, I wasn't appreciative of it or anything because I am. It's just, you know, as an artist, you always want to do something different. And I felt like that, like color palette was something that I've done so many times before that I was like, okay, we'll do it. But it was really cute. And I really do like the video. I love the choreography a lot. The, the mirror shot at the end on the bed, I was really excited to use that focal point of like shooting up into the mirror. I think that like looked so sick. So
1: yeah, awesome. So how long did you spend working on the music video from like, you know, being brought on and being approached to it coming out and being released?
3: It's about like a two month process. Wow. Honestly, I wrote like four different treatments for it. This is actually I love your guys's format of this, by the way, because I feel like I've never done this before where I was just talking about one project in depth. It's kind of an arduous process. It, it's obviously pays off when you do the video, but you know, I've been asked before to write treatments and write about four treatments and you think you're going to get the job. You go to choreography meetings and everything. And then like, all of a sudden they're like, actually, never mind, We're going to have another director do this. <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? So, but yeah, it was about two months. Cause um you know, we did the love Island thing. Then they were like, uh, uh, pull back a little bit, but we were still trying to keep some of the love Island thing. Then they were like, no love Island at all. So there was a bunch of back and forth in the initial stages of it. Also, I don't know if you guys have seen Bella's videos before, but, you know, she, I, you know, Build a Bitch is like one of my favorite videos of all time. I think it was like incredibly done. That director, Andrew Donahoe, is like so amazing. But, you know, they had a lot more budget on that. They had like four months of VFX work on that. So they had a lot more time and money to play. And I think that, you know, it was Bella. Bella had to scale herself back. For this video too and so there was a bit of challenges with that where we were like okay well how are we gonna make this work for this money but you know my producer garrett and like all my whole team like really made it work Then it's about, so the funny thing is with music videos is that like, you know, you're going to get the job and like, everybody knows that this is going to happen on this specific date, but the label doesn't give you the money until like a week before. So you could do all the prep (laughs) in the world, but like you're actually scrambling in the week prior because, you know, you don't want to move until you get money. Right. Yeah. But uh, Mikey Avina, my production designer, I work with him like almost on every video now. He did such an amazing job on creating that pool scene too because you know he had like we had like latex pink latex covering the pool where they had the stage you know and i thought that was really creative also how he got those like i i'm really proud of myself too because when we went to scout the location because i was thinking i was like how can i make this look different you know because even you know, when the label came to me, they were like, we just want a basic video. They were like, we just want something fun and pretty. Don't think too much. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to do something fun and pretty and not think too much. And so when we went to the location, I was like, wait, there's like that heart shaped canopy thing, you know, that uh, Bella sat in. And I was like, oh my God, can we get oversized flowers and make this kind of look like Alice in Wonderland?"y Um And so I was impressed with my own creative on the spot for the one on the location scout. And we did that. And yeah, Mikey sourced those really beautiful flowers. So I think we were really able to make the space look different. And then in the editing process, it was also about a month just because, you know, we had some VFX moments. We were going to do more VFX, but then also with the budget constraints, the VFX that we ended up doing, like, didn't really look the best. We had to like work around that. So yeah, the editing process too, like, you know, there was a lot of little things. Like people don't even realize it's like, sometimes too, like you don't even see it. It's like, because there's so many cooks in the kitchen sometimes too. So it's sure. like, oh, at eight seconds, uh, there's a hair in the frame. And then like at 11 seconds, uh, the dancers looking the other way and like all like little things like that, where it's like, and then you, you put 12 people looking at a cut together, you're going to get a lot of those like little nitpicky things. So, but you know, it's good because it makes your product better in the end.
2: Sure, sure. Uh, out of curiosity. So of course, Many filmmakers have said over the years, it's like, you know, you're you're really making three films. So You have the film that you are planning on making. There's the film that, you know, that you're shooting in production. And then, of course, there's your final product that you get when you're done with post. So now you're done. The project is over. You're moving on. But now looking back, is there anything if you could go back in time, be like, I wish we had gotten the thing or if like, you know, like this thing, like, you know, we we tried it out. Like, is there anything you'd want to change?
3: Yeah. So for Loves, two things, actually. For Love Scene, I feel like we kind of rushed the production design on that a little bit. And I feel like it could have looked better. And I mean, that wasn't really that was just kind of the way the day was going, you know, so it wasn't even like anything having to do with the the resources of their team. It was just like we were because a separate of us. So we had a 12 hour day to shoot, which we knew was going to go into overtime and be 14. Like we like, you know, budgeted <laughs> for that. But because that's music videos, but separate of my shoot. We were all they were also doing video uh photos for the album and then separate oh. of that, Bella was doing like Spotify little interview things. And so I like the whole time I was like, This is just so ridiculous. Like we are not like I knew that we were just not, I mean, we pulled it off, but I was just like I knew that the day was gonna be insane. But um, yeah, I wish that we were able to like set-dress Love Scene a little bit more. Um, I think it could have looked better. And then that we got, we were so rushed in the pool also, like with Bella and Love's interaction. So it's more just like the Love and Bella situation, I think, could have been a little bit better on my end. Mm. Cookie crumbles.
1: Yeah. So talking about the day, you said it was a 12-hour day, but went to 14 hours. I'm watching the music video. I'm counting like seven or eight setups or different scenes that you shot. Like, how do you...
3: And there's a cut scene.
1: Oh, my God. So how do you break that down? Like, how much time do you give the choreography, like the dance scene? How much time do you give the pool? Is it like you get an hour here, 20 minutes here? Like, how are you pulling this off?
3: Yeah. So I got uh, one of like the best ADs in the game, Jamar Hawkins, to do this because I knew that I needed it. Like your AD is everything, I feel like, especially for me, because, you know, my time management. I mean, I came in here a few minutes late and my time management <laughs> is not the best. So I definitely need an AD to like keep me in check. But I think the more you do videos or the more, you know, you shoot in general, I think the more you get accustomed to, you know, realizing when you have the shot, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes we get so like, I know for myself, like we're using these really cool filters from prism lens and like, you know, so in that, the first shot that we did was Bella by herself with the flowers and it was looking so beautiful. And I could have shot, like, we could have made a whole video out of that one setup, you know, we got so many beautiful things and they were like, okay, I think we got it. It's it's also just kind of realizing when you got the shot, like a simple performance take, like starting with that, getting the whole performance take, then you know you have the whole song, you know? And that was a lesson I learned early on of like making sure that you get the whole song in more than one setup because it's just good to have to cut back to, you know, I think music videos are a different format than narrative in that way where like you kind of sometimes want the filler to just cut because, you know, it's such a quick cut thing. So... It's easier to shoot the shots, the scenes when it's just uh, Bella, for example, or just love, Mm -hmm. because, you know, that's going to be a simple performance take. You're going to get a Y, you're going to get a tight, you're going to get maybe like some B-roll close up, whatever. But there's only one performer in there. Whereas exactly with the when it becomes the reason why the pool was so complicated, because there's like 15 extras, you know, then like, you know, we did an underwater uh, part, right? We had to like put the under. We had to put the camera in the fish tank, and like that was obviously a crazy setup. And so for the pool, we we allotted more time. And then the choreo too, you're gonna allot more time because you know Bella has to learn the. As I said before, they only had one rehearsal day, so Bella's learning the choreo. And then separate of that, it's like you know if one dancer moves this way, but the other all the other dancers move this way, and they're just like a beat off. It just doesn't look good. So, yeah, so the dancing, definitely, you know, you have to allot time. The more people there are in a setup, the more time you have to allot for it, I think, is like a pretty good rule of thumb.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Always get your masters. Always get your masters. Exactly. There's I want to ask you a question, but I want to kind of break it into two parts just because we, you know, we often have feature filmmakers that are coming in that are doing narratives. And so it's, it's very rare that we get the opportunity to talk to people who make music videos. If you wouldn't mind kind of schooling us on like where the where the world of music videos is right now, because I feel like going back to the 80s, there was a lot of excitement. We had MTV, but then, of course, everyone figured out like, you know, there was going to be a, a, a strong delineation. There was going to be like the people at the very top who are getting like the 75000 the $150,000 to make a, a video. And then there's the people who are like, I'm just going to do this in my garage because I have my band. Right. But I do feel like because of things like TikTok, Snapchat, because of these apps, like Music videos have become really popular because it's really fast, quick content that's very, very pretty, that really pops. Has there been kind of a resurgence and like kind of a a, a more financial rewards when it comes to music videos? And then also, how did you get into them in the first place?
3: I love your optimistic outlook. (laughs) Unfortunately, unfortunately, it's working the other way. Okay. because so, yeah, like there was a heyday that, you know, was before my time. You know, a lot of like the people I like my rep and stuff, you know, she was doing Waiting for Tonight, Jennifer Lopez. She did all of Francis Lawrence's videos, you know, the director of The Hunger Games. He did Cry Me a River to Timberlake. So she was doing the heyday of music videos that was like eight hundred fifty thousand, a million dollar budgets, like half a million dollar budget in a music video, you know, back in the day was considered low budget. Now it's <laughs> like my highest budget music video was three hundred thousand. So it's like, you know, the it, it it's definitely not that way and actually one of my best friends uh, she works at a record label and they had to have a meeting last week to just say that you know they're they have to tick because of what you're saying about the easy and quickness of the content labels are kind of feeling like it's not as beneficial for them to put money into a music video when they can just have the artist make a dance video on TikTok that then everyone else is going to share you know yeah. but then the artists. The video I did with g in Paris, so that was like, you know, one of my highest budget music videos, you know, he put a bunch of his own money into that video because he wanted to make a film, you yeah. know? And so I think that there's a disconnect between the artist wanting to actually make artistry and make a movie, like who doesn't want to make a film for their song, you know? So there's a big disconnect between the artist wanting to actually make art and the labels just being like, hey, just record yourself in your bathroom lip singing your song, <laughs> you know?
2: Yeah well and then so how did you how did you find your way into music videos like what was what was the start was it just you were in a band and you're like let's make a music video or was it just the art school kid and you're like all right i like music and i like videos let's put let's marry those two together
3: i'm actually one of the few directors that i feel like doesn't have a a passion for singing or like well i don't know i was always a performer but i mean like I'm more of like, I'm going to be an actress and a and a host, a talk show host, which is why I like doing podcasts, as opposed right. to like, I've never been in a band or anything. No, but I did grow up as a dancer and I would like choreograph routines in my head. Like I'm talking about when I was like eight years old, I didn't even know that I was creating a music video in my head, but I would really literally visualize like a whole scenario in my head for like, you know, the latest Britney Spears song. <laughs> It's funny because I never, I actually went to school for broadcast journalism and like I thought I wanted, I mean, I still want to make documentaries and I am um, actually in the middle of editing a documentary right now. Oh, great. You know, I, I never thought to get into music videos at all. It kind of just fell into my lap because I grew up in Brooklyn and growing up in Brooklyn, there's a lot of people that need music videos. You know, everyone's an artist in Brooklyn. And so there were these rappers, underachievers, and so I did their second video ever And that video got 12 million views on. Wow. (laughs) And so (laughs) I was like, oh, shit, um, this is really amazing. And yes, I love music. And I think it's, it's really interesting, actually, to ask anyone that's in my field, like, how'd you get into it? Because I feel like, you know, you can't go to school for music video directing. You know what I mean? Or like even in. Film school, I mean, maybe now it's different, but I feel like in film school, cause I did minor in film studies, you know, and there was no option to take a music video class, you know, like it's just <laughs> something that I feel like is so like, you know, thrown to the wayside. Like we like to say, it's like the wild, wild west, you know, and it is the wild, wild west in terms of like, I think it's the most creative thing. And I'm really happy to, cause I do want to make movies. You know, I'm, I'm working, you know, later today, I'm going to be in pre-pro for my short. You know, I definitely look at Francis Lawrence and like Spike Jones as like my career. I'm like, wow, what they did in their career is like what I want to do in mine. You know, they made these amazing, iconic music videos, but they're also winning Oscars for their films. You know, I'm really grateful for the experience of starting in music videos because I feel like it expanded my creativity and like, you know, like you get to work in such a different way that in narratives, maybe when you're if you start in narratives, you don't think in that mindset. You know what I mean? And so I'm really grateful to bring the tools that I have in music videos into the narrative. But that being said, too, it's like it's the wild, wild west also because it's like, you know, I did 100 plus music videos. On my first commercial, I get into the DGA. Wow. Because they don't protect <laughs> music videos at all. But like you do one commercial, sure, you are you could be in the director's guild, you know. So.
1: so can you talk about like that first music video, it did really well. It got 20 million views. Like, was that it? Was it just like, oh, now I'm I'm a music video director and like everyone wants me to make their music video? Or did you uh-huh. have to kind of hustle for like the next music video and the next video and the next video and the next video, et cetera?
3: Yeah. No, no, no. So basically. Yeah. I knew very early on that I was not going to have a nine to five, that I was like absolutely going to carve my own path. And so, yeah, once I was like a junior, senior in college, I was like, all right, shit's getting real, you know? And so my senior year of college is when I was making these videos. I actually started with my ex-boyfriend. So he was the one, and honestly, like, I don't even think I'd be in music videos without him. And so just because I was on such like a, I'm going to work for Vice and make documentaries path, you know, mm. he was the one that saw these rappers on Facebook. He said, cause you know, so this was in 2012, you know, they had 10,000 views on the, their first video, meaning like, as in like, you know, they're, getting some traction, but they're still relatively not so well-known, you know? And um, he was like, I'm going to reach out to them. But me and him both were in the same position at the time where we were kind of working in the same kind of field, whereas like he was doing like real, like product, like he was working in this place called Real Works, which was like a, you know, local kind of ch- like teens program thing in New York. And, you know, I was in Arizona studying broadcast journalism. So we hit them up and he was like, I want to make a video for you guys. They were like, okay, send us your work. He didn't really have anything. They made a a Facebook status that was like something about indigo children. And so indigo children is just like, it's a term for kids that were like born after a certain time that are like, you know, third eye conscious. I don't even really know how to explain what an indigo child is, but it was like, the rap I started in was like consciousness rap and it was very like third eye. Like I was a big, heady, hippie girl back in the day. I was doing a lot of psychedelics. And so, (laughs) so he saw that, that status and he decided to comment on it. And, you know, credit, I, I credit, I learned a lot of lessons from him in the way of like, you know, find a personal connection. And so because he responded to this like indigo child thing, they were like, oh, shit. Yeah, we want to work with you, you know? And so he directed that video. I DP'd it. But then I saw how it like blew the fuck up. Honestly, I was like, I was really my senior of college. So, so he did that one video. He starts working with these people more, doing a bunch of like little things. I'm stuck in Arizona and I'm like, oh, my God, I want to get back to New York. I hate my life. Like this sucks. <laughs> I was so stressed out. One of my teachers, Aaron Brown, he was actually the first. His first day at CNN was 9-11.
2: Wow. It's a tough day.
3: Yeah. And so, you know, he's my mentor. I love that guy so much. And he told me he was like, it doesn't matter what people are doing now. Like, you don't know where, like, don't worry about what's going on in New York right now. Like <laughs> you'll have your time, you know, like just cause someone's, you know, killing it right now, doesn't mean they're going to be killing it in 10 years. And it's so true because I think of like these rappers that were like really big, like had a moment 10 years ago that like, I don't hear about them anymore. You know, anyways, mm-hmm. I say this to say, So my ex kind of did me dirty, because we were like, you know, I was kind of always a part of his career in that like year when I was in Arizona. When you know, I was like doing I did like a commercial for state bike when I was in college. And I I was doing my documentary, the one that I'm actually editing right now, finally, but uh, documentaries, you know, sometimes a story actually makes more sense 10 years later. Like I think that that story actually needed to be told now, not then. So that's really amazing. But so we had a music video and he was like, you know, I, yes, I want you to direct this video with me, like help come up with the concepts." And I was so excited because he was like giving me like, okay, you're editing, you're coloring. Like he would give me random job titles on these, on these videos. when it was like, I kind of was creative directing them with him. And so when he finally was like, you can direct this video, I was like, oh my God, amazing. So I was so excited. I come up with the concept and he comes to Arizona and we emailed the DP and in the emails of the DP, he's like, "This is the director of the video." And I was like, "Wait, I thought that we were directing it together." And he was like, "Well, I don't want to confuse the DP. There's only one director. Like, don't worry, but you're
0: uh...
3: you're actually, actually going to direct it." And I was like, "Okay, whatever." So, I mean, the karma of this story is really crazy, and I don't think I've ever actually like spoken about it in this in-depth way, but I do think it's important because I feel like this happens to people, especially women, I think, or anyone that's like excited. But okay, so I come up with a concept. He's like, "Okay." you know, I'll make sure that you're there on set when we shoot it. Okay. Of course the shoot day comes around. I'm not there. Like, he's like, Oh, and I was like, you know, but by my senior year of college, I was so over school, like in terms of like, you know, I was going to Costa Rica to shoot my documentary. I was like missing school at the time. Like I didn't give a fuck about college. I was just like, I want to work on my career. So he knew that I was going to fly to New York to, to work on this, you know, but he was like, Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, And it's funny because what ended up happening with that video, my name did end up going on it, which like it still felt a little tainted. But basically, like, you know, I don't even remember the details now, but it's like the editing process of it, like ended up had to be like totally reworked. And I had to be there for it. And like all these like things happen where I was like, well, this is your karma. But yeah, the (laughs) first early days were not easy for me. But then, you know, eventually, like, you know, I was back in New York. Actually, I'll tell you guys, I could be real on this podcast, right? Oh, sure. We were at Electric Forest and we were on acid and he okay. was like, <laughs> and he was like, it's always been us. Like, we were always been directing together. Like, please direct with me. And I like felt like, so like, oh, finally, whatever. But honestly, me <laughs> directing with him, I feel like I always kind of felt like the beta in a way, you know? Mm. We directed together for like about four years, but those four years, we didn't actually get a real like label video until like three years into it. And by the time we got that label video, we were already like on the way of breaking up, you know? Mm. So it was really hard for me to, to break up with him because I was just like, I'm not happy in this, but I had my career. And then I didn't work. Once I broke up with him, I didn't work for eight months because nobody wanted to hire me because they were like, well, what did you direct on your own? My own parents were like, do you think maybe you should go for something else? And I was like, are you kidding me? Wow. And it's funny because now if I see him do a video, I'm like, good for you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We grow, we change, we're adults. Yeah, no, totally,
3: totally, absolutely. Yeah, once I started directing on my own, I feel like it kind of like rebirthed a different part of directing for me because like, like, I think like back in the day, like, and I don't know if I think it's like a subconscious thing where like, um, like people just like will automatically look to the man or they'll be like, like, he would always be like, I'm going to talk to the DP, you talk to the production designer, you talk to the wardrobe, like, that's your thing. And I'll talk to the camera. And I actually think that those things made me stronger in those areas, because that's like where I was like cultivating. Yeah. But yeah, it's like sometimes when we'd work together, like the crew wouldn't look at me, they would look at him for advice and it's like i wrote because you know sometimes he would write a treatment more sometimes i would write a treatment more and i'm like i wrote this whole concept like why are you looking at him like this is my idea you know so (laughs) there was a lot of like that kind of thing and sometimes i look at like other you know directing duos especially a husband and wife team or something and i'm like all power to you guys because i prefer being alone (laughs) but uh, to go back to the early days really quickly i'm sorry i know i'm like going in a circle no go for it Okay, so yeah, so we worked with this one group, the underachievers a few times. And then uh, we did one video in Washington Square Park and we had like a hundred extras. And it's crazy because we did that video on like $4,000 and now I'm like (laughs) $4,000 to rent a Washington Square Park and have 150 people, like it's insane. Yeah, so I was working a nine to five, I was working like on Wall Street basically. And I wrote that treatment basically like the treatment is about a person who like quits their job to join the revolution. And that was actually the video that got me to able to quit my job and join the revolution of like being a full-time creative because one of the extras on set uh, worked at Atlantic records. And so she came up to us and she was like, Oh, I would love to get you in touch with the, with, you know, my boss or whatever. And so we were emailing the, the we were in email contact with Atlantic records for like a year and a half before they ever even like sent us, one they sent us like one ten thousand dollar video for this rapper Stolly. and i remember i was like oh my god i made it a ten thousand dollar budget wow (laughs) you know um but we didn't get that video you know i kept so something that i feel like is something that is the reason why i have a career in the first place is because perseverance is like so important because basically like you know every time we would have something new i would email them and you know my ex would be like they already know who we are why are you emailing them and i'm like because we have to remind them, Do you know how many other people they probably think of, like they're not thinking of us. And so I would constantly be emailing and emailing and emailing. And like, even after that, you know, like the amount of cold emails I would send to different reps and different, different labels, different commissioners all the time. You know, now I do it much less. I don't really do it at all anymore. But sometimes still, I mean, you know, I met Sofia Coppola the other week and I was like, I'm going to have to shadow you. So can I have your info? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, so she gave me her info. She was like pretty taken aback by the fact that I even asked, I feel. Because, you know, everybody there is like wanting to take a picture with her. And I'm like, picture is cool, but I think your contact is more important. (laughs)
2: Uh, Roxana, why don't you take a quick second and just go ahead and share Sophia Coppola's uh, contact information with all of our listeners we really appreciate that just real quick what's your cell phone number what's your personal email address whatever you know just you go ahead we'll wait
3: uh, I'll make it password protected
2: okay yeah, there you go good idea good idea <laughs> so sorry yeah please continue uh yeah like so no, no, no. when you were getting started that was it was mostly it, it sounded like yeah there was a little bit there was a lot of perseverance. It was mostly like you putting yourself out there because as you said, and I think with, with, you know, kind of no matter what artistic direction you're going in, there are a million dancers out there. There are a million directors out there. There are a million writers out there. No matter what it is, it's it has to be you like bugging people, tapping people on the shoulder, being like, hey, this, this is uh, check out my stuff. Look what I do. I can do it for you too.
3: Exactly. And so I feel like you just can't ever really get a big ego of like, you know, Well, I'm the best or I do this because like I feel like there's no such thing as like a number one best. You know what I mean? I feel like there's always like a hundred, like even like the best city in the world or the best director. Like there's so many other bests. You know what I mean? Like best is so like there's a lot of people that are amazing. And so the only way for people to be reminded of like maybe I do want to work with them or give them a shot is just by, yeah, putting yourself out there, you know?
1: So I have a really quick, like, technical question. Like, how many years – because you said you, you had a day job at, at at for some of this. Like, at yeah. what point were you able to just quit, you know, whatever else you were doing and just focus on directing your music videos full time? Was it, like, after five years of making v- music
3: videos, ten years, two years? It took me three years, I would say, to quit my job. Nice. But I wasn't, like, full-time directing music videos at that point either. I was, like, you know, doing, you know – event photography and behind the scenes mm. content and like, you know, but I just knew that I was constantly on Craigslist. I don't know how Craigslist looks now, but back in the day, I would start <laughs> exactly
2: and- the same. That's the okay. beautiful thing about Craigslist. <laughs> It'll never change. Okay.
3: So there's so <laughs> many gigs on Craigslist. Like I got so much early random work on Craigslist, you know? Yeah. So I feel like I just knew that even if I wasn't necessarily directing a music video, or directing anything for that matter. If I was working with a camera that was still closer to, like I always knew, because yeah. even now I'm still freelance, you know? I just am, mm-hmm. I'm a freelance girl. I can't imagine having to wake up and go to a place and clock out <laughs> and like two week vacation. Like, <laughs> so I knew right away. By the way, I, I worked at the Phoenix Film Festival when I was in college. Oh, nice, oh well, great. Awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah, my feature one either last year or the year before for best sci-fi well, feature. So.
3: Oh my God, I have to watch yeah. it.
1: Yeah, I'll send it to you.
3: That's amazing.
1: Yeah, it came out last year. So I, I, it basically took me eight years to make my first feature, but I finally did it.
3: <laughs> I'm proud of you. <laughs> That's you. amazing.
1: And I just want to second the Craigslist thing. When I got started, I got my first two features I worked on as a PA through Craigslist. Actually, one was an AD. I AD'd a feature through
0: Craigslist. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah.
2: Wow. Craigslist is of- kind of under under the radar, like an amazing tool for uh, yeah. like indie filmmakers. No matter what you're doing, it's kind of awesome, actually.
3: Totally.
1: Yeah. Um. So so we spent like 40 minutes talking about music videos, and I still have music video questions. But I think we need to like at least give some time to Project Greenlight. Okay. So let, let's talk about that a little bit. Like you know you like why why were you drawn to Project Greenlight in the first place? And then what was that whole experience like being on that show?
3: I was definitely drawn to Project Greenlight because, I mean, I wanted to make my first feature, obviously. I watched Project Greenlight back in the day. I loved that it was a new take on it, you know, that it was all women. It was, I love Issa Rae. You know, like I studied, I'm working on a TV show right now as well, like writing and creating a TV show. And, you know, I studied Insecure because it's like very similar to the basis of the TV show that I'm doing. yeah. And so when I saw that it was Issa Rae, because I only knew it was Issa Rae at that point, I didn't know that it was going to be Kumail Johnny, which I fucking love Kumail Johnny so much. So that was like even more exciting to me. I was like, what? But yeah, when I saw Issa Rae, Women, Project Greenlight, I was like, done, you know? And I mean, it was one of those things where like I had a feeling I was going to get through but all like, so my friend that sent me that he sent it to like six girls and I was the only one that applied. Like, this is what I mean. Ugh. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't understand how people like, don't just like take the chance, you know, like you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take, but I kind of had a feeling I was going to get it because I like knew the quality of my work. Yeah. But again, at the same time, you don't know the quality of another person's work that's being submitted, you know? So yeah. So it was really cool. Cause That was like, I've never won an award or anything, you know, like I was on like a best of the year list, like three years ago. I've never like won. I'm still waiting for my VMA. And so (laughs) I feel like like getting chosen for that, because there's 6,000 people applied, getting chosen for that was like the closest I've ever gotten to like winning something, you know, even though I didn't win in the end, it doesn't matter. The fact that I was like chosen to be a part of it was really like an affirmation from the universe. So that's amazing.
2: And now, of course, you've you probably you went on Project Greenlight and we're assuming is to, as you said, you know, you want to make your first feature film. Now, you also have your documentary. So it sounds like and a television show. So it sounds yeah. like you've got quite a few things going here. Like, yes. the, can you talk about like, well, this feature film, I'm guessing it's an idea or multiple ideas you have in your head. And maybe you've already, you know, have your pitch deck or whatever it happens to be like. So what is where are you at with that now? And like, where do you you plan on it going?
3: So actually with the feature Project Greenlight, it's all the same feature. Like, they Mm -hmm. send us all a script. And I really think, because, you know, it was my first time ever pitching a feature, period. And so I regret some things of that. But I think in the end, whatever, I think that was for a reason. Like, I don't feel like I pitched exactly, you know, like, I had all these references in my head of, like, The Matrix and Natural Born Killers and, you know, all these different movies that... I didn't realize that like, you're supposed to kind of do that in a pitch. You're supposed to be like, well, and for this scene, I see like Rodney Dangerfield, the natural born killer. It's like, I didn't realize that that's like how a pitch is supposed to go. And so I didn't really use those keywords. And so I don't think I sold my idea. Like I tried to sell myself more than my idea, which like works in some cases, but not all the time. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I really saw like an amazing film in my head and I am a little sad about it, but also it's not meant to be but my movies though are very sci-fi. So I'm super excited to see your film. Yeah. I mean, I want to make a bunch of different types of movies, but um, I am drawn to like dystopian realities a lot. And then also like the first generation story, the immigrant story, those are, and like, I've been calling myself the spiritual Spielberg, which is more like, I feel like it's something that you, you're all, you always are like, whoever you're meant to be you always are but in terms of like have has the world seen my spiritual Spielberg side absolutely not because i haven't made a film so how could they but you know i think a lot i think a lot of the themes that i want to explore in my movie making is you know like things that make spirituality more mainstream you know like healing your your generational traumas and you know past lives and like you know being able to communicate with the afterlife and all these things that are like a little like cuckoo but like I don't really think cuckoo. I think that they're like absolutely there we just can't just because we can't like physically touch them doesn't mean that they don't exist you know
1: going back to project Greenlight, you, you you dropped a really great like bomb about how like you know you learned some some lessons about pitching but like what are some other things that you learned from going through that process
3: oh man so I have never felt more exposed in my entire life <laughs> so basically like the way it works is you spend three days in a hotel room and you're not allowed to leave the hotel for those three days and you constantly have a mic on you. And once I, cause you don't even, you don't have control over their edit, what they're going to do. You know I mean? They shot three scenes with me that weren't, didn't even make the cut, you know? And so it definitely made me realize like, the, like people that are on love is blind or the bachelor, or any of those like reality love shows. I'm like, I was vulnerable about my career. I can't imagine you being vulnerable about like who you are and like finding love on TV. Like, so shout out to all those people. But um, in terms of like, I, you know what I really learned actually? So it was my first time shooting a narrative because, you know, so the way it works is we were given $5,000 and we were giving, given a month to shoot one scene from the script. But we had no idea what the rest of the script looked like. We weren't given any context. It was just like, do what you can with this. And I had shot one short film before, but like separate of me not writing that script, which I didn't write the script either. The person who wrote the script was kind of like backseat directing it. And like it was like all her resources. And so this was like the first time that I ever like directed a narrative that was like completely up to me. Everything was in my control. And, you know, I think I did like a really great job um, on the budget. I'm really proud of it but doing that experience I was like oh my fucking god I like it made me like opened my eyes to like how much I love narrative you know because I had never really I've just been on this music video train really and so I think I just learned the lesson about myself that I'm like wow I could really do this you know Mm -hmm. and like even like the way I did the sound design and the way I created the characters and the way I like you know worked on the script like all these little things I, I like I really saw myself as a filmmaker in that. And so that was really cool.
2: Well, let's talk about a little bit about you creating characters and you creating these narrative worlds, whether it's, you know, whenever you're approaching directing, what are the things that you're doing before you get to set? Like, are you, do you storyboard? Are you, you know, making animatics like an Unreal Engine or Grasshopper or something like that? Or cause I, well, What is kind of your process of the whole thing?
3: Well, I definitely like scour shot deck and Mm -hmm. Pinterest and like you know sometimes I'll also find scenes like if there's like a specific camera work that I want to use or something like that absolutely yeah so I think references are so important which I guess is ironic that I talk about how in my pitch I didn't mention references (laughs) 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 because references are definitely super important and yeah that's definitely and then yeah it really kind of goes project to project you know like sometimes I have like a beat sheet where I'm like, okay, from zero, like my g video, for example, Tulips and Roses, that was like, I knew exactly what I, because that was, I think, much more cinematic than other things I've done where like, we were really like, we, I think that looks like a movie. And there was like, very, it's very narrative driven. And so, you know, from like zero to 10 seconds, this is the shot, 11 to 15, this is the shot. Like I knew exactly what I wanted. So I think sometimes creating a beat sheet is really helpful. And then also with music videos, um, you know, if there's like a specific shot you want with with a certain lyric, you have to time code that, you know. So like I'll be like, okay, um, we're gonna start shooting this this scene at 48 seconds, you know? So then we like have the prep ready to like start shooting at 48 seconds. I mean, even with Bella, like even with Bella, I had time codes because like we didn't shoot that mirror um bathroom bedroom thing for the whole film, you know. That was just like the two minutes into it or whatever. I knew that that was gonna be the scene, you know? So I think those are two really helpful things. Sometimes I do do animatics, though. It depends on and storyboards, of course, obviously, too. Mm -hmm. Um, with, With storyboarding and in general with my career, now I'm trying to just make my fucking money. But back in the day, I didn't make any money because any money that I did make, I would reinvest into the project. And honestly, it's like, I don't know how much it paid off, like because it's like, Sometimes I would do that. The artists, wouldn't appre- the artists wouldn't appreciate it. They wouldn't know. Like they didn't give a fuck. The, the label doesn't hire you again. And it's like, why the hell did I just put my paycheck back into the video for you guys to not even hire me again? You know,
2: it's probably good marketing material for you, though, because, you know, you're coming out with, a, you know, a, a, that much better of a, a product. So you, then you can show it to the next person, and be like, look at this thing.
3: Exactly. Totally. So with storyboards, depending on the project, sometimes you, like, cause, OK, so with music videos, It's very rare. Well, it depends on the budget, but I don't really put storyboard artists into my budget in music videos and commercials. They're always important in music videos sometimes. But I guess this also goes back to me being silly. I would sometimes go into my own budget and uh, like my own pay rate and pay for the storyboard if I feel like it's necessary, Mm -hmm. you know, because sometimes Mm -hmm. the producer is like, we don't have money for that. We don't need that. And I'm like,
2: Pre-production always ends up saving you time and money. Like, it's pre-production, something like storyboards. Like, I don't go to the bathroom unless I storyboard it right. Like, that's, I mean, come on. Like, let's, let's be serious here.
1: I a little bit disagree, but we don't have to get into that right now.
0: <laughs> but
1: anyways, <laughs> so the question I want to ask is about all these artists that you worked with. You worked with some big names, like Doja Cat, a uh, little Uzi Vert. I mean, you know, I could go on and on. But I want to know, like, walking into the situation, working with, an, with a big-time artist, that has, like, a ton of visibility on them. Like, how do you manage that collaboration? Like, what what is your process with working with them?
3: Okay. So it's really interesting because I feel like it's so person to person, you know what I mean? Like sometimes like with Bella, for example, Bella was like super involved with G, G was super involved. I mean, G and I met in a studio and like, we came up with that concept together, you know what I mean? But then like, if I'm going through the label system, which like, for example, With little Uzi, for example, like that was like totally just like I gave an idea and they were down, and I didn't meet Uzi until the day of the shoot, and it worked, you know. So it really depends. I will also talk about like the protection around an artist. It's really interesting, like like when I worked with Snoop Dogg, for example. Like I look at every person, especially now, I'm like every you can't you can't like think of someone, especially if you're going to direct them as like a superstar. You have to just think of them as a person. But obviously, when you're meeting someone like Snoop, you're like you're meeting fucking Snoop. You know what I mean? Like that was like a real <laughs> like meeting working with Snoop was really cool for me. And so, but a couple of days prior, they were stressing so much. They were like, like making it like they, it's almost like they want to make you anxious and they want to put pressure on you mm-hmm. to like, okay, well, you're working with Snoop Dogg and like Snoop doesn't like this and Snoop, this and, Snoop this, 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 this and you're just like, bro, he's just a person fucking relax. And so it was amazing because when I did work with Snoop, I, Everybody was playing drop it like it's hot. And I'm like, come on, guys, let's put on blue carpet treatment. And so I put on blue carpet, Treatment, which is like my favorite Snoop album. And immediately Snoop was like, yo, who put this on? Who put this on? He was like that. He was like, everybody knows that this is my favorite Snoop album. And I was like, it's my favorite Snoop album. And so like automatically we like bonded over that. And then the whole day, like he was like, you know, like we had like such a connection. Me and him we were vibing by the end of the day. The team was like, we got to get you to direct everything with Snoop. Snoop's never like this with people. And so I feel like it's like really important to just like look at the artist as a human being, which is also another lesson that I learned Um, because I did do them. And I don't think I've ever spoken about this on a podcast either. So you guys are asking all the right questions. <laughs> I worked with Maluma and I was super hyped to work with Maluma. You know, we have the same birthday. We like we're both wearing sparkly shoes on set. I love his music, whatever. I was so excited to work with Maluma. This was like four years ago. And then there was an altercation that happened on set where I guess the location manager like thought that Maluma's Maluma's bodyguard had a gun on him. And so like there was just a lot of tension. And you know, it was honestly racism because he was calling him a Colombian rapper. And I'm like, Maluma's not a rapper. He's a fucking Justin Bieber, but okay. <laughs> and you know, so so there was like a lot of tension on that. My AD started screaming. The producer, like the label actually ended up firing the AD. It was like this whole mess. But basically, while this was happening, Maluma was sitting in the corner alone. And I got so wrapped up in what, cause you know, we were shooting a shot. So like Maluma's in the scene and we were shooting like a master performance. So Maluma was like in the scene and like everybody else is like outside, like 30 feet away, you know? And I got so wrapped up in what was going on, like just shocked that I didn't go up to Maluma. I didn't say anything. And Maluma's manager, who is a woman, said to me she was like woman to woman like you it's your job to be the one to talk to the artist that's your artist like you know she just kind of like gave me this lesson of like you know and it's true it's like I didn't think of and because prior to they were putting such like superstar pressure on the fact that it was Maluma I don't know I just I didn't even think this was like you know one of those early lessons you learn because like me and him were vibing so much like why didn't I just go up to him and be like hey are you okay okay I just got super lost in the sauce. But, you know, the fact that she and, you know, they had to leave early. You know, I mean, we still got a good video. It came out, everything. But like, you know, the manager, I don't think that Maluma even felt like he needed to leave early. But like, again, it's that protection thing. So like his team was like, "Okay, like we're going to go now, you know, like Mm -hmm. you're done. Sorry. Yeah. You know, I cried that day on set. Like I was just like hysterical crying because I was just like, oh, my God, I was so excited to work with Maluma. Like, how did I fuck it up so bad? But, you know, that was a big lesson for me because I think that was a real turning point of me, like, looking at the artists as people and, like, not as, like, this superstar entity, you know? And so I would never make that mistake again, basically, you know?
2: Awesome. Great answer. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, since we're running out of time, uh, we're going to go to our final six questions. What is the first film you've ever made, you ever made, and how do you feel about it now? This could be, like, a student film. This could be something you made in your backyard when you were a kid. This could be whatever you want.
3: I made... A film at Coachella and I filmed like these naked I filmed people uh, like naked you know and um, that was like my entry into Aaron Brown the professor that I was talking about earlier that was my entry into his class and the reason why he allowed me into his class because it was all like a class of seniors and I was a junior was because he was like you have an eye and he was the first person to tell me that I had an eye because like rather than me filming like you know the band I like saw these naked people in the crowd and that's where I you know that's what I saw as the shot.
2: Always film naked people. That's the yes. takeaway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> What's the best filmmaking advice that you've ever received?
3: If you want to be a director, be a director. As in like, don't. And I, you know, I learned that very early on when I was like 20 years old. And I see, you know, 10 years later, that's still true because I feel like a lot of my friends get, you know, their editors or their DPs or, you know, one of my best friends is a gaffer and all he wants to be is a DP, but nobody's hiring him as a DP because he's the best gaffer. And so I feel like if you want to be a certain role, just like work in that role, you know, because eventually people are just going to see you as a role that you might not want to be in, you know?
2: Mm -hmm. What is the worst filmmaking advice you've ever gotten?
3: The worst filmmaking advice ever gotten? I mean, God, that's tough. I don't know. like a part of me wants to say like waiting on other people's money (laughs) kind of. because i feel like i've like wasted like you know so many years not doing things because i didn't just fucking do it myself because i was like oh well i'm gonna wait for and then i find myself still spending that fucking money on clothes by the end of the year like i did my taxes the other day and i was like oh my god i spent so much money on stupid shit when i but I just fucking made my short and cause you know, just real I, quick. I, so
2: you just did your taxes the other day and it's October. I want to just, just, <laughs> uh, I, don't
3: wanna,
2: I don't, I don't want to tell you how to live your life or anything like that, but it's, you know, normally people shoot for April. I'm just gonna, gonna throw oh, that no, out there. No,
3: it's a really bad habit and I am breaking. <laughs> I'm about to start doing quarterly taxes for sure. <laughs> That's that, there you go. Yeah, that is bad advice. But I say that to say, Yeah. It's like, you know, you, you spend money on stupid shit by the end of the year. Anyways, you know what I mean? And it's like, you could fucking spend all that in one time on whatever you want to make. And I feel like I've like, let myself like time pass and things not happen because I'm just waiting for someone else to give me the opportunity when like, I could just give myself the opportunity. And it's cause it feels like a big chunk of change. If you're like looking at something and you're like, Oh my God, am I going to spend my whole savings on this one thing? And everybody's like, no, don't do it. Are you crazy? But now I'm like, well, what if I did do that? I don't know. Maybe it could have changed something. So I feel like if you believe in yourself, don't listen to the naysayers and just fucking do it. But also, if I leave you bankrupt and nothing happens, don't blame me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> do you have a goal as a filmmaker?
3: I'd like to be an EGOT.
1: Wow. wow. Okay. Heard that one before. Really? Sweet. Yeah. First.
3: Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> But yeah, no, I want to I definitely want to build a legacy, too, in terms of like, because, you know, I look at some of my favorite filmmakers and I'm like, or even like, you know, Spielberg wasn't even nominated. I just saw AI recently and I hadn't Mm -hmm. seen that film before. He wasn't even nominated for for best director or anything when that film came out or even best production designer or anything. And I was just like, that film was amazing. So sometimes I think of these like lofty award goals that I have and I'm just like, well, you know, a lot of my favorite films weren't looked at in that way. So I think more like having people like, look at my movies and like feel themselves in them is also something that I would definitely aspire to, you know?
2: Mm. You, you covered this question a little bit, but just to put a fine point on it, if you could go back in time and give yourself a piece of advice, what would it be?
3: To make your ideas and just fucking make them and believe in yourself and invest in yourself? Because I feel like I spent my whole 20s investing in other people like this is goes back to like, you know, oh, if I put $3,000 into VFX on this one video, it's going to change things. And it's like it doesn't change anything. Save your fucking money and do your own ideas. That's that's what I would tell myself.
1: Nice. Last question is making movies hard.
3: Yeah. Making movies is hard. Absolutely. But I think it's more of a mental challenge than it is anything else. Cause I think like, once I go on set, um, I feel so powerful. Like this is my domain and I know what I'm doing. So I don't think the actual physical aspect of making movies is hard. I think the mental gymnastics you do doing in your head constantly of like, should this be the idea I go for it? Was this a script I concentrate on? How do I get distribution for this? Like, I think those things are what's harder.
2: And final thing, of course, uh, how do we support you? How do we find your work? How do we get, make Roxana Baldovin the, the greatest director in the history of the world? How do we do oh that?
3: God, I love you, thank you. <laughs> you follow me, follow me on Instagram and on YouTube, see, please on YouTube, but also on Instagram, but please on YouTube because I don't have enough subscribers on there and I'm like always posting BTS and, you know, I have a lot of things I'm doing on there. So uh, Signora Directora is my and my I think that's also my YouTube I mean if you type that in you'll definitely find me and you know check out my work and hit me up if I've inspired you today
0: do you love making movies as hard and you want to listen to more episodes
1: jump over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMIH and you can listen to the entire back catalog of episodes for just $1.99 a month
0: that's an additional 300 episodes that aren't on iTunes that you can listen to whenever you please
1: but without any more blibber blabber
0: back to the show Ulric, what do you remember about your and eric's chat with roxana
1: well first off merry christmas everybody this is actually happening on christmas day what? this episode so merry oh, christmas
0: happy late hanukkah I mean. everyone happy late. yes
1: hanukkah. and all the other i don't know what other ones there are to celebrate there's lots of them i'm sure but any other holiday you support but back to roxana she was a delight to talk with as you might have noticed from the conversation and I think what was so striking to me was that she was so successful before going into Project Greenlight to the point where it's like, you know, I kind of felt like she could have gotten her first feature made just on her own, you know, like with all the connections and everything that she had going for her. But I mean, I guess if you get invited to Project Greenlight if you get in, you're not going to say no because it's like, you know, a great opportunity and more exposure and everything. But yeah, I just was... Like I guess in my mind, I never watched the show before, but in my what? mind, all the people who, <laughs> you
0: didn't know. watch the Effie Brown season with the Matt Damon Effie Brown confrontation. No. Oh, <laughs> duly noted. Okay, sorry. Go on.
1: <laughs> I just assume that oh, you go in and you're like you know you you maybe have one short film or you're in like not yet a working filmmaker or not yet a professional, but like she's like you know was full so. Fully honor, you know, fully a professional at that point. So I just was thought that was really interesting. And then just the way that she fell into music video directing, I thought was really interesting as well. But like a really cool guest. And yeah, I can't wait to see what she, she does with a narrative feature. Because, you know, if you watch any of her music videos, she's got quite the creative eye, this lady. So can't wait to see what, what she does. Oh, but then I have to ask you the question this week. Okay, so you're the expert. This is a segment on the show. That was invented by Eric Toms, our producer, who basically comes up with a question that he thinks that Liz and I will be the absolute experts on, and that we'll be able to give the definitive answer to this question. So, here we go. Here is uh, this week's You're the Expert. What do you think is more valuable, onset production experience or schooled learning by an instructor? <laughs> Liz, <can> go.
0: So, <laughs> I first read this question, I was like, well, duh, it's onset experience, and then now hearing it again... It's like, well, for what position, Eric? Like, as a director, I don't know. I think it's very important to have a well-read director who has seen a lot of movies, who knows a little bit about the history of cinema so that they bring context into the decisions they make so they know where their work sits in the history of film. But if it's anything else... Really, I would want someone with tons of onset experience because that's, I mean, indie film sets are insane places for problem solving. And the more problems you encounter, the better you get at problem solving in indie films. And I think it's, it, you can't just be theoretical all the time. So for me, it's like anything other than maybe a writer or a director, it would be onset experience, but I actually would prefer. Some, sk- some schooled writers and directors who are well-informed about film history and theory. Hmm. That's an interesting answer.
1: Yeah, I, I guess I don't, for a writer or a director, I don't necessarily care if you, like, have a deep understanding of film history. Like, I probably care more about, like, if your tastes are good. Like, if you like movies that I think are good. And if, the it, assuming you, have, this is, of course, border like, accepting that you've watched a bunch of movies and you love movies. I think that's, to me... Like I really hope prerequisite, so. That's a prerequisite, I think, for like a writer director is that you have to love movies. And
0: But what if they only know, love movies from the past 10 years? Is that not a problem for you?
1: No, it's not a problem for me. Oh, well, I'm a snob. Um, then. As long that's as, the long as, as they're snob. good. I mean, yeah, if, if they like crud from the last, uh, you know, 10 years or so or like things that I just think is gar- garbage, then yeah. But I mean, I'd like them to, to have watched older movies, but... I, th- I guess in general, I just think it's helpful. But like, I think if you're passionate and you like newer stuff and you haven't yet discovered like you know '90s or '80s or '70s or '60s or '50s, whatever, like you haven't fi- discovered all these different eras of filmmaking, then I don't necessarily think that's an issue.
0: You're just nicer than I am. You're not I have this much much more open, accepting perspective. I th- I think-
1: I think the reason why I feel this way is because I took like a couple of film classes in college because I was in broadcasting, not in film. And the film classes were so steeped with these like arrogant jerks who like think (laughs) that they know everything about filmmaking. And they're like, yes, in the 1937 film... And oh, you haven't seen this French New Wave? My heroes. Thing, you're just try- describing
0: my heroes. Yes. It, <laughs> it's just
1: like, but it's like it's like they would deem you worthy or unworthy based on like what you had watched before, you know. And if I'm like, I like musicals from the '40s. It's like you're an idiot. Get out of here. No one cares <laughs> about that, you know. And it's like, well, why isn't there room for everything? And I think that to me, that's why that 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 thought bothers me. It's like, well, why can't you just love what you love? As long as it's good.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and that's what, pass, that what powers you, you know? But I think ultimately to answer this question, actually, I, th- I do think... I'm going to answer it in a weird way. So if your schooling is a school where you get to make movies, I would say like that's v- super valid. Like if you go to school and like they're having you go out and make short films, like we heard from one of our previous guests who made a feature at USC. Mm-hmm. If that's the kind of school that you're getting then I think the schooling's great. But, like, if you have been on 10 sets, like, let's say you took one person who went to USC or Chapman or whatever, AFI, whatever fancy-pantsy school, and you took another person who, like, has been on 10 indie film sets, I would probably be like, oh, yeah, a person who's been on 10 indie film sets, that maybe is better as, like, a 21 or 22-year-old than the person who, like, went to Chapman. You know, no offense to my friends. Stop bringing up Chapman. <laughs> <laughs> or USC, whatever. Okay, you know? thank you. Yes. But I'm just saying, like, I just think that, like, the, the more experience you have, the better. And that's why, like, I did five internships when I was in college, because I just felt like the more experience I had, the better I'd be, you know, when I left school, you know. So, yeah. But definitely feel like. <laughs> but I don't know. We've had this discussion so many times. Like, But if you go to USC, I think, like. <laughs> you know if you could go if you go to usc and you can be on 10 film sets then like you're a killer like no one's you are going to destroy everybody in the world because not only do you have all the connections all like the great instruction all the great hands-on experience that you get from going to a a program like usc but then you've also been on 10 film sets and so you could probably do both and like then you're unstoppable so i don't know but i do say if i had to pick one set experience for sure yeah yeah yeah, so what do you think? Do you agree, disagree? You can send us a question, comment, or suggestion to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com or if you really like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes. You can always also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MMIH Podcast and YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. Make sure to check out the International Screenwriters Association. The ISA is an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through a number of programs they offer. So check them out today uh, at www.networkisa.org to sign up for free. Thanks to Roxana Boldavin for coming on the show. Thanks to Irene Gregorian for setting this up. And she really stuck with us, Irene. So thank you for like, you know, being persistent. And, you know, we had like 20 emails to make this happen. (laughs) Thanks to our editor, Jeff Reimut, for doing the editing. Thanks to Robert Jones for handling all our social media. And thanks to our producer, Eric Tom, for being awesome. Thanks to you all for listening. Happy holidays. And we'll see you in the new year next week. Jeff, just if you need me to retake any of this, because no one can hear me with my daughter saying, hello, (laughs) Um,
3: we can do it again later.